are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Amos is a heavy book as far as a burden. Uh, God was not very pleased with Israel during this time. But I think we'll learn something here about God. I hope it'll help us draw closer to him. Amos chapter 1, the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Car- Carmel shall wither. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Haziel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus, and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon. And him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Ker, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn, uh, turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyrus, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and remember not the, bro- the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyrus, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof with shouting in the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of whirlwind, and their king shall go into captivity. He and his princes together, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the kings of Edom into lime. But I will send a fire upon Moab, and he shall devour the palaces of Kiriath, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of a trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and I will slay the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err, after, that, after the which their fathers have walked. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four. I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. Our Heavenly Father, God, you have moved in the service, and I do ask, Holy Spirit of God, 
that you would bless the study of the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos, and Micah were contemporaries, meaning they prophesied about the same time period. I read in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So that's when he prophesied, Isaiah, uh, during those kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz. And then in Hosea, we see the word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of uh, uh, Berah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So again, the same kings are mentioned there. And then we see in Amos 1, uh, we just read in verse 1, the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Josiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Again, the same kings mentioned. And then Micah, chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So these four prophets were contemporaries about the same time period they prophesied. Of the four, Amos seems to be the oldest and also has the shortest ministry as far as time-wise. Israel at the time of these men were already divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel, the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Uh, remember, if, you, if you, uh, you've studied the Bible and uh, uh, learned a little bit the history of Israel, towards the end of his life, King Solomon rebelled against God. I mean, uh, the Bible says uh, uh, Solomon, whom, uh, to whom God showed himself twice, the Bible says, and appeared to Solomon twice, but towards the end, and uh, part of that is because he married all these women and all these heathen women, basically, and turned his heart uh, against the Lord. And because of that, uh, the Bible says that God... Uh, rent the kingdom from Solomon. First uh, King 11, 11, I'll just read it. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. And then verse 12, Now we say, In the thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of thy hand, of thy son. So you have the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and then you have the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. And the first king of Israel was Jeroboam, not the same Jeroboam right here in Amos. This is the second Jeroboam, many, many years later. And so we see there the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Jeroboam uh, was the first kingdom, uh, was first king in the northern kingdom. He was a bad king. In fact, in Israel, the northern kingdom, there were no good kings. It started with Jeroboam, and it just went downhill from there. It never got any better. And, uh, you know, uh, it, just, it just from a bad to worse, a bad king. And nobody else uh, changed that along the line. It went all downhill. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, please, if you don't mind. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. And we're going to get a lot of verses as background, and I... And I trust the truth at the end here will help us in our Christian lives. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. The Bible says, Whereupon the king took counsel, counsel that's Jeroboam, the first one, uh, and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods. He says, Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land 
of Egypt. And so he, he was afraid that the, the uh, Israelites would go back to Judah and worship God and be drawn away uh, from Israel and from his kingdom. He says, you know what? I'll make an altar. I, in fact, I'll make two. One in Bethel and one in Dan. And uh, he set the one in Bethel, verse 29, and the other uh, put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. So right from the beginning there, we see Jeroboam the first uh, just basically forsook God and caused the people of Israel to uh, forsake God. Israel started out wrong and just kept getting worse. And by the time we get to Amos, and we get to the time of Amos, God was about ready to give up on them. And um, Amos, uh, first of all, let me say this, was from the southern kingdom sent by God to the northern kingdom. Turn uh, again, Amos, right there, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joas, king of Israel. Notice it says he's from Tekoa. Tekoa is in Judah, the southern kingdom. It's about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. So he's from the south. And God takes him there and sends him to the north. Amos did not come from a family of prophets, by the way. He was a herd, herdman and also a gatherer of sycamore uh, fruit. Turn to Amos chapter 7, please. Amos chapter 7. Just get an idea who is Amos is. So he is from the south, sent by God to the north. He is not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. He was a herdman. And a gatherer of fruit. Seven, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 14. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. From all indications, we find that Amos probably was not a very wealthy man. Just an ordinary man whom God called for a special purpose. May say uh, uh, by way of introduction, you know, God is really not looking for special people to do his work. He is looking for people who are willing to do whatever God wants them to do. And God was uh, telling Samuel to go to, uh, choose uh, another king besides Saul. He sent him to the, uh, um, to the family of Jesse, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, uh, Jesse uh, put, out his, uh, uh, put forth his sons. And, and uh, Samuel said, oh, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look, on, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show uh, himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. It says here, so God says, I don't look on the outside. I look at the heart. That's what's most important to God, is what is the heart. God really, you know what, God really doesn't care much for talent. He's the one that gave it. Amen? But our hearts, we have to give it. He can't just take it. You see, the talents he gives, the abilities he gives, but you know what, the heart, you have a choice. We have a choice. We're either going to give it to God, or we're going to take away from God. So God is interested in the heart. 
It's not the talent or abilities. And you know what? God can use those. But God, but God is more interested in the heart. A heart that is right with God is more valuable to God than talent or ability with a rebellious heart. You see, it starts in the heart. Both Judah and Israel were experiencing a very prosperous time. By the way, in the days of uh, Amos, they were, they were living it up. They were prosperous uh, during this time. And, and probably the most prosperous in the time of Israel's history. And because of that, there arose a certain class of nobles. They were wealthy, influ influential men with large estates. But these nobles also became oppressors of the people. These wealthy and powerful people did not care how they treated the people of the land. They were corrupt and dealt harshly with those who had less than them. Turn to Amos chapter 2, verse 6, please. And again, by way of introduction, it won't be that long here, but I hope the truth will help us and encourage us in our walk with God. Amos chapter 2, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. The idea there is of taking bribes and not, bribes and not, taking, uh, and not caring if they were being just or not. They didn't care about doing right, basically. I mean, they would rip, the, rip, uh, rip off the poor and they didn't care about that. To them, it was just a, it was a, a thing to do for them. You see, Amos chapter 5, verse 11, if you turn there, please. Amos chapter 5, verse 11. Notice what it says about them. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor. And again, oppressing the poor. And ye take from him burdens of wheat. Ye have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. Ye have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Yes, they had wealth and prosperity, but they were crooked. I mean, they, they took advantage of people. They didn't care about doing what's right. They were using their wealth and position to gain more wealth, even if it meant doing wrong. Turn to uh, Amos chapter 8, please. Amos chapter 8 and verse 4. Amos chapter 8, verse 4. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fare. I mean, they're already poor. And you're still taking advantage of them. Saying, when will the new moon be gone, that began, be gone that we may sell the corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the, uh, the balances by deceit. I mean, they were, uh, they were cheating. They were using false scales. You know, if they say, okay, that's one pound, but the scale actually is half a pound. But they would charge them for one pound. They were cheating the people to get gain. He said that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. They were a bunch of crooks, just taking advantage of the less fortunate. Yes, they had prosperity, but they were crooked. They were also immoral. Turn again to Amos, please, chapter 2 and verse 7. It says there that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor. Again, the bad treatment of the poor. And turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid 
to profane my holy name. And Paul talks about that sin in, in the New Testament. He says, you know, such as cannot even be named among the heathen. And you're, you're having it in your church. And that's what's talking about the Father and the Son going to the same maid. Yes, it was a prosperous time, but also such a wicked time. There was no regard for doing right. It was during this time that God sends a southerner to the north. Amen. I don't know if he had an accent or not, but he sent the southerner to the north to proclaim God's message of judgment. The message starts out with a roar. By the way, in Joel, it's the same uh, description as I'm going to read right now. A Amos chapter 1, verse 2. And the Bible says, And he said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, the top of Carmel shall wither. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. That can't be good. But that's how it starts in Amos. That's why I say the book of Amos is such a heavy book, a burdensome book. Because God is pronouncing judgment. And God says right at the beginning, the Lord shall roar. Then God starts proclaiming judgment to the countries and cities around Israel and around Judah. And we read, I don't know if you caught it, while we were reading chapter, reading chapter 1 and chapter 2, there's a phrase that kept coming up. The phrase says, for three transgressions and for four. As he names the cities and countries around Jerusalem and around uh, Israel. That idea is, uh, the idea of it's about time. God has been patient. They had it coming at three. But you know what? Let me give them another chance. And it's now four. And I've been patient. And I've been gracious. And I've been kind. And I've been loving. But enough is enough. And that's what God was saying to the cities and countries around Jerusalem. He says, you know what? Enough is enough. I've been more than gracious. And God starts with Damascus, and we read that. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions to Damascus, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Then he goes to Gaza in verse 6. Then he goes to Tyrus in verse 9. Then he goes to Edom in verse 11. Then he goes to Ammon in verse 13. And then he goes to Moab and he proclaims the judgment in the cities and countries around Israel and around Judah. I, I, I imagine maybe around this time, uh, this point of the message, Israel is saying, you know, what do we care? That's them. I mean, uh, three of those countries, there are three of those cities we took care of a long time ago. That's God judging them. What do we care? Why should we care? It's them, not us. A plug. But then it gets closer to home. In chapter 2, verse 4, God pronounces judgment on Judah. That's the southern kingdom. It says, Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Judah. And for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the law of the Lord, and have not kept his commandments, the lies that caused them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. 
They say, you know what? That's, that's for, you know, maybe at one point he says, that's for the heathen. We don't care. We're God's people. That doesn't apply to us. But now God talks to God's people. And he pronounces judgment on Judah. And then he pronounces judgment on Israel. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Israel and for four. By the way, Amos was sent from Judah to Israel to give the message from God. Let me give us some things to notice. God does not send judgment for no reason. God does not send judgment for no reason. We won't read it, all, all of that, but if you read those passages again, for three transgressions and for four, God pronounces judgment. And he, there's one word there in, those, in that phrase. He says, because. Because. God always has a reason. God doesn't do anything without a reason. He says, for three transgressions, for four, I, I, I will send judgment. He says, because. He says, it's not like you don't know what's going on. It's because you did this. That's why this is happening to you. And we can't go to God and say, God, I don't know what's going on. You're not fair. You're not right. There's always a reason why we're going through judgment. There's always a reason. And God says, because. God has a reason. By the way, God is always right. God does not send judgment for no reason. Secondly, notice also that everything rises or falls on leadership. Everything rises or falls on leadership. When God brought judgment, he brought it down on those who were responsible for the direction of that nation or that city. Let's read again Amos chapter 1 verse 4. But I will send a fire into the house of Heziel, which shall devour the what? The palaces of Ben-Hadad. And I will break also the bar of the masses and cut off the inhabitants from the plain and of heaven, and him that holdeth the what? The scepter from the house of Eden. He's talking about the rich, the influential, the rulers of that country. Verse 7, But I will send a fire in the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof. Verse 8, And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. Again, talks about the leaders. Verse 14, but I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Verse 15, And their king shall go into captivity, he and his princess. Verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 3, And I will cut, cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. There's a principle in the Bible that God holds leaders responsible for the direction of the followers. It's always been that way. May I apply this to us parents. Parents were responsible for the direction of our homes. We are responsible. Our, ch our children's destiny hinges on the choices that we make. That's why we ought not let the judgment of God fall upon our children because of the choices that we make as mother and father. Before you go a different direction than what you have been given, may I ask you to ask yourself, is this choice going to make us better Christians, or will it open the door for my children to abandon what they have been taught 
Is it really for their better good? Or are you just being selfish? Parent. Amen. Do you really want to go that route, mom and dad? Have you thought this through? See, in your mind, you're just opening up the door just a little bit. But you know what your children are going to do? They're going to throw it wide open. And what you thought, well, you know what? It's not that bad, really. I think we can just get away with this, just letting it loose just a little bit. You know what? But the children are following. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to open it wide open. They'll take it wide open. Okay? My question to you is this. Are you that much better? By loosening up, you all heard the story about the, the illustration about the dog that's in a, in a fence in the backyard. And it's all fenced in. Outside, there's a big bulldog. And that little chihuahua dog just barks and barks at that bulldog. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's almost like wanting to get out. He didn't realize that that fence he was in was keeping, keeping him safe. You see, that's the only thing that was keeping, keeping him safe was the fact that I was inside the walls the boundaries. This church has given us boundaries. This book has given us boundaries. Let's not be like that chihuahua dog. It says, you know what? I just want to open the fence just a little bit and see if I can just go outside just a little bit. We don't realize that inside the fence it's the safest place to be. I, I really don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Why you would loosen up what you've been given. I think it's just being selfish. It's because you want to do it. Because you've always wanted to veer off and, and try it out. But we don't realize that there come some, some people after us. Our children follow us. Once you open one inch, they'll open one, one mile. And that's the heartache. And that's, and I just can't understand why that is. You, we don't understand what we have here. You know, it's, it's not a shame to be called old time. It's not a, to be a shame to be called old fashioned. It's not a shame to be called, you're weird. I mean, you follow the Bible just like the Bible. There's, it's not a shame to be called that. But we don't want that anymore. We don't want the stigma of old time and old-fashioned. And guess what? We want to open it up just a little bit. Guess what? You may, you may be okay with it, but your children are not going to be okay with it. When they grow up, they can make their own choices. But don't destroy their life just because you're selfish. Do it for them. Do it for them. Open the door slightly. Children are going to go open it all the way. By the way, once it's open, it's going to be very hard to get it close again. You know what? Some things are just not worth getting into. Really. You're not missing out. May I just tell you that you're not missing out. There's nothing the world has that offers to you that is better than what God has. I'm sorry, I'm almost out of time here, so let's just keep going. They ignored God and even mocked Him. Chapter 2, verse 12. Then God goes on to say in chapter 3, You've been given so much. You have a special relationship with me that no other nation has. 
It says three verse two, you only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I'll punish you for all your iniquities. Don't throw away the heritage you've been given in this church. We have been given much. Yes, not popular nowadays, but it is a rich heritage nonetheless. Appreciate what you have and pass it on to the next generation. And then chapter, and then the, the verses three to six, God asks some rhetorical questions. The answer is no. It says there, uh, can two walk together except they be agreed? No. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? No. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? No. Can a bird fall in a snare uh, in the earth where no gin is for him? No. Shall one take a deep snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? No. And God is saying, you know what? The reason I'm judging you, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. In chapter 4, God uses a phrase over and over again, yet you have not returned unto me. God is saying, I still want you back even though you push me aside. I've tried getting your attention, but you've not returned. Now we come to what I believe is the key verse of Amos. He says, I've tried to get your attention, but you just ignore me. And then he says, prepare to meet thy God. Verse 12. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee. Prepare to meet thy God. Keep in mind the context. He's talking to his people. And I'm applying it to us, his people. God says, get ready to meet your God. That's the R word tonight, ready. Get ready to meet your God. God wants to meet with his people. He wants fellowship with his people. And by the way, God is either going to meet with us in anger or in love. But you know what? He's going to meet with us either way. You see, whatever we want, whatever decision we make, God is still going to meet with us. And how God meets with us is up to us, really. God, so sad to say, Israel did not want anything to do with God. But God had no other choice. He says, enough is enough. And if you read chapter 6 through 9, God told Israel, I'm meeting with you in judgment. I wish it was not that way. You see, one thing about God, God does not delight in punishing his people. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, God says. I'd rather not do that. I'd rather not meet with you in wrath. May I say, Christian, God wants to meet with us. By the way, and he will. But it's up to us if he meets with us with correction or if he meets with us in comfort. God is pleading. Meet with him on his terms so that it'll be a good meeting instead of a bad meeting. How do we get ready to meet God? Let me say this first of all, learn of him again. Learn of him again. Amos chapter 4 verse 13. We're almost through. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and created the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Basically what God was saying, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who I am. Three times after he says, prepare to meet thy God. Four times after that, he says, my, the Lord is my name. Now, whose name is thy, the God of hosts. The Lord is his name. 
You see, God is saying, get to know me again. Get to know me again. You want to meet me in good terms? Why don't you get to know me again? Get to know who I am. And then secondly, he says, I want you to do right. Chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. And God says, it's our choice. If you would just do right, I'd like to meet with you in, this, in the arms of love, ra rather in the arms of judgment. Chapter 5, verse 18. God says there, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Good night. Why do you want me to judge you? Why do you want me to pour my judgment on you? Don't you realize that's not good for you? You see? It says, fear God. Be in awe of God. And then it says, be sincere. Verse 21 to 23. I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings or meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings in your uh, fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of, of thy vials. But let judgment run down in waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. You see, if we're not careful, we all know how to go through the motions. We know, all know how to look good on the outside, but our hearts are rebellious. Notice in verse 25, 26. Have you offered unto me sacrifice and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chilion in your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. You know what? God says he was grieved with Israel for forty years. In the book of Hebrews, I believe. But you know what? In those forty years, they still offered the sacrifices. They still gave the offerings. But at the same time, they were carrying their small gods in their hearts. They looked good on the outside, and they followed the protocol on the outside, and they obeyed the rituals on the outside. But inside, they were carrying their small gods and worshiping the gods that they made. They're good on the outside, but inside is a heart of rebellion. You know, God longs so much to fellowship with his people. By the way, God fellowship with Adam before the fall and God fellowship with Adam after the fall. He still walked through the garden, except the last, that, that time, he came and met with him in judgment. But God longs to have fellowship. It's up to us whether it's going to be in the arms of love or with the arm of judgment. Jesus Christ, when he came to Jerusalem, he groaned and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent upon, upon thee. How often would I gather thee as a hen gatherer chicks, but ye would not. See, the truth of the matter is, God is always heartbroken when he has to meet us in judgment. He would rather meet us in love and in comfort. But it's our choice. It's our choice. Get to know him again. Do we even have a walk with God? Do we take this Bible sometime in the day and get to know who God is? Spend time in, in prayer and in reading the Bible and falling in love with your God. Do we do that? You see, yes, Barpus and I'm in church, I know. So were these people. They gave the offerings. They gave the sacrifices. But they were carrying their small gods 
in their heart? Do we have a walk with God? Are we casual with God? We can get, we, we, we can get by, just say, you know, oh, I miss my Bible, that's okay. You know what? And we miss our Bible every single day, and we don't get to know God. And, guess, and secondly, are we doing right? Is there something in our lives that probably nobody knows, but it's that God that you have in your heart that's causing you to rebel against God? Why don't you give that up and let God be your God? And just be honest with God. Be real. You know what? We don't expect you to read your Bible an hour a day if you don't even read it five minutes. Just be real. God knows all about that. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. If what you can do right now is five minutes, at least that's five minutes of getting to know your God. You see, God's in heaven and say, you know what? I want to meet with you. But such things are keeping us from meeting in a good term. You don't even know me, he says. You're casual with me. Your gods are keeping you from me. God says, you know what? Why don't we meet in good terms? God wants all of us to be close to him. Would your heads bow and eyes close? Is our hearts right with God? God longs to meet with his people. And God's going to meet with us. I'd rather he meet with me on good terms than bad. Don't compare yourself with others. Do you have a walk with God? If not, let's get that started. Know God. Learn about God. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.